We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome back to another episode of the Golden Bearcast. We have rebranded. It's been a few weeks, but we have rebranded. Um, that is our new name now. You can look it up. It's all over. Wherever you're listening to this, it's probably at Golden Bearcast. Golden Bearcast. But I'm one of your co-hosts, Rob Hong, with my other co-host, Andy Johnson. How are you feeling about the brand name change across the board? <laughs> I I feel like I wasn't ready for it, you know? When <laughs> Boy, it's been three years of hearing the same thing, I think. Yeah. So that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But good. Weird but, necessary. No, no. Yeah. We Changes are good. Change is good. Changes in the air. It's a new year. It's a new decade. 2020. Our first podcast of 2020. All right. So get this. All right. This is totally irrelevant to everything about Cal. And All right. I hope will be somewhat entertaining to people. Hit me with it. When were you born? 1989. So this is your fifth decade that lord participated in fifth decade second millennium i mean we're still in the second millennium but it's my fifth decade too yeah but i'm only 31 yeah and i'll be turning 31 in a little bit in a few months but so that's interesting that is interesting five we've lived through five different decades well not through okay in in yeah wow yeah that's mind-blowing that's probably half of the decades we'll probably be alive for <laughs> i mean like realistically like it's about it's probably going to be about fifty percent. Someone I saw another tweet that was like, if you think if think about it this way, we're only eighty years from a new century. I that's mean, not. I mean, but that's not that far if you really think about it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not seeing it. Who knows? Eighty years, dude. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Maybe technologies and maybe Please we maybe you and I you and I you and I become bicentennial man. <laughs> like we'll be in the Rob like the Robin Williams movie. We'll just be changing out organs <laughs> left and right that don't Welcome decay. Welcome to the Golden Bearcast. <laughs> like, in the year 2100. Still haven't been to a Rose Bowl. <laughs> 2100, we still haven't been to a Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl has uh, turned into like this thing that happens on Mars, and we still haven't gone. Had yeah. a couple close calls, but yeah. still haven't been. No, no, the Pac-12 North is on Mars, and the Pac-12 South will be on Earth. Like That's, yeah. that's, that's, how, far, that's how far we've gone. That makes sense. I mean, how different is Arizona from what Mars? You know, Mars makes yeah. sense. Yeah, but that's neither here nor there. Or, but it kind of is. 
we yeah. tied it back to Cal. We, we tied it back. We did. We did. We we came full circle. But we're here because we got to talk about the bowl game, and then we also got to talk about our offensive coordinator that was just hired a mere days ago, which is crazy to think about. It feels like it's been like over a week, three days, ago. two days. Yeah, it's it's been that. Yeah, we'll talk about the OC stuff later. But let's dive into the bowl game. Um, we played Illinois here at home at Levi's, the Red Box Bowl on December thirtieth. The Bears win thirty-five to twenty, uh, led behind Chris Brown, who had hundred and twenty yards rushing on twenty carries, six six uh, six yard average, but no touchdowns. With a long of fifty-four, that long run we'll, we can talk about later too. Um, and then of course. Our uh, main man, Chasen the Heisman Garbers. 23 of 31, no interceptions, 272 yards, four touchdowns, and uh, a long of 38, sacked three times. Receiving-wise, Makai Polk, five receptions for 105 yards. Nico Romeo, four for 36 and a touchdown. Uh, Christopher Brown Jr. also with a touchdown um, on one of his three catches. And that's pretty much it. Evan Weaver only nine tackles that on the day. Coin only. Dang only. Coin Dang eight tackles on the day. Uh, Cam Good with uh, eight tackles, a sack, and a tackle for loss. And that's pretty much it. I mean, from the Illinois side, there's not really much to talk about. Uh, Brandon Peters, their quarterback, twenty-two of thirty-seven with an interception, two hundred seventy-three, two hundred seventy-three yards, and a touchdown, two sacks. And then on the ground, he actually was the leading rusher too. Uh, with 68 yards on eight carries um, and with a long of 30. That pretty much is it, uh, I guess, from the stat side. I guess a rundown would be in terms of the scoring plays. It was a 25-yard field goal by Illinois, followed by a four-yard pass uh, from Chase Garbers for a touchdown. Then Brandon Peters with a five-yard pass for a touchdown. Then Garbers with a one-yard run for a touchdown. CBJ with a three-yard pass from Garbers for a touchdown. Then James McCourt with a 30-yard field goal for Illinois. Gavin Reinwald with a two-yard touchdown pass. Nico Rumihia with a six-yard touchdown pass. And then Reggie Corbin with a six-yard touchdown run with eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And that was the final score of the game. So 35-20. Your take on the game. I think that this game was... Uh, <clears throat> it was... I, I really think, like, all the... Do the players... like even want to you know go to a bowl game that would be at home when you look at it it was what, there was about 32 35,000 people there yeah i think that was somewhere around the official attendance and then you walk away winning um and that trophy's dope too that's a really nice trophy yeah yeah it's, and it's in levi's cal majority cal crowd it was like it was a really nice send off and I think that was just like where I was at after. I was like really pleased, pleased with where the program was going, pleased with the trajectory that like Wilcox and the foundation that we've set up, pleased for the send off for Bo Baldwin and Nick Edwards and Greatwood and all these, you know, the coaches that are moving on. And then for our seniors, these guys, and even, you know, Wilcox mentioned in the postgame presser, I don't know if you caught this, he included Cam Bynum as one of the seniors. Yeah. Um, but. But that's also because Bynum by grade, by class, is a senior. Oh. Because he's a redshirt. He's a redshirt on the field. So in terms of, like, studies, technically, Fair yes. Fair so. enough. I thought he was hinting. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. That's what a lot of people thought. And maybe maybe that is the case. But he is a redshirt junior. So by default, in terms of schooling, he's a senior. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I thought, like, it was a really, 
really nice. I mean, what a season, right? We talked about how tough it would be if I think uh, Wilner was the one that had predicted that we started off the season something like seven and zero, and then finished seven and five, or maybe it was even crazier, crazier than that, six and zero, six and six. But it was something like that, and then we had talked about like how how crazy would it be to go through a season where we start off that hot and then lose all those games and then end up, you know. And we kind of did that. We started four and zero. We go four and four, and then we basically won uh, three out of the no wait four two, out of the next yeah four out of the next five yeah and ended up getting the axe back and ended up getting a bowl win and now like people are talking about rose bowls <laughs> like, <laughs> people are saying ten win floor next year and I'm like not there at all but I am like super excited about the continued progress that we keep making um and it's just way better than where we were before like far better yeah yeah we'll talk we can talk about like why we think the floor is not 10 you and i are agreement there that's crazy it's also but that's also on par because who we hired as an offensive coordinator and what it means in transitioning into that system which we talked about you know before we started recording so yeah we'll talk about that when we get to the oc but yeah i'm totally in agreement with you like those it it was perfect send-off like you know, I did notice a little bit. I think the first quarter, you know, guys didn't have their legs under them. It, I mean, clearly that's the case because it's pretty much like starting a brand new season, right? You took a month off of playing like yeah. actual football games and you were in practices or like, you know, even the week of like they're going to Alcatraz and they're like staying in the city. Like they're doing all these, you know, um, they're like going to hospitals and like hanging out with like the, the pediatric ward uh, and, and things like that, right? They're doing... Like the the football outside of football events um, leading up to it, and then finally you're at the game, you know, like you're excited to play, but you're just not in that game. Like you can't hit the ground running because you just your body just is not used to play. Like it's been resting for a month, um, so I did kind of feel that. But then once the guys got got going, it was it was unstoppable, um, and the offense, as we've talked about, has made significant strides throughout the entire year, and they're going to continue to get better um going into next year with practically everyone returning <laughs> so um yeah it was great uh the atmosphere was great we had a blast we had two tailgates you had one um with your buddies and then we of course had our cgb one so i, I went back and forth between the two we had fun it's a great time um, the tailgate scene at levi's is like i wouldn't say great oh it's, the park it's the great the part no, I'm saying the, you got to go to Niners game before you say, you say it's not great. No, no, I'm just saying in terms of like how the parking. <laughs> I'm saying how the parking lots are set up because they're so far away from each other. Like it's not, it's not like it's not like in Dallas, right? Or the where the or like any other stadium where there's space. It's just like the entire surrounding uh, surrounding area. Everything around, everything around you is the tailgate. Yeah, that's the parking Qualcomm lot. Qualcomm used to be like that. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah. So that's that's the only reason I'm saying. Like I had to walk like across two streets to get yeah. to. The other, the other parking lot where our CGB tailgate. <laughs> I don't know, dude. We, it was far. Um, so that's the only thing. But in terms of like the the tailgating scene, like just around, like and people and seeing people tailgate, it's just it's just night and day with what you see at game day in Berkeley because yeah. you don't have that space. Right? I wish that we had more. Oh, of same. Like something like that. I totally agree. I mean, our our one that we have with the CGB guys is great. Is great, um, but. Just like in that atmosphere you kind of want around game day, like from what I heard from all the guys that went to Old Miss and just like the Grove and that setup and all that, like it's just really cool. Like that's the one part of game day that I think we kind of miss 
just because of our location and how our campus is set up. But yeah, um, that's that's a topic for another day. Uh, but yeah, uh, the atmosphere is great. People are outside having fun. Like you know, it's majority Cal fans. Um, the stadium, of course, is arguably like one of the best football stadiums. Like to watch a game, like it's just set up really nicely where you have a good vantage point of the field wherever you're sitting. Um, in terms of light, I don't know. Maybe guys that sat on the far side across from the 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 press row, like on the other side of the field, they got sun in their face the entire time. But in terms of like a vantage point, wherever you're sitting, wherever you're walking around, you can always look into the field and see what's happening. It's a great venue um, for a football game. Granted, it's just far from us and out of the way. But the press box was ridiculous because you're so high up. Yeah, you're at the top section and you're just staring down, but you can see everything. So when we were like tweeting out where the ball was, we were right every time. And yeah. usually when we're at home. We're off. We can't really tell within a couple of yards. We can give an estimate, and you kind of have to wait for the, the scoreboard to yeah. adjust. But this one, you could just—I was like, right every single time. It was wild. And then we had unlimited chicken strips, and unlimited nachos, nachos, popcorn, unlimited pretzels with cheese, unlimited itsits, unlimited cake, <laughs> brownies. Yeah. Uh, and then we also had a coach next to us. Oh, good. Oh, that's a fun story. You want to tell that story? Sure. Uh, so we were sitting in press row, and I think the room next. So we were we were at the very end of press row, and there's a wall, of course. And I think it's next to us is like just a bunch of rooms, right? It's like the radio room, the TV broadcast room, all that. I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was the Illinois coaching room that was right next to us. And so here's what I couldn't figure out: whether the walls were thin, or that Illinois, or some of those Illinois coaches were really loud, right? It, it, it's either or. I just couldn't tell, but we could just hear them yelling like if you're a football fan like you know this gift that i'm talking about which is the rich rod thing where this season where like it was like a play it had the cam on him and he just like turns around he just like he just like yells out in anger and like just like throws his hat on the ground in the, in the chair in the press box but you didn't get the audio from that you just saw the video think of think imagine what that audio would have been like and just us hearing muffled versions of it through the wall the entire game like never stop six people were in between us and that wall and they're all dying of laughter because this coach like all you hear is banging on the wall (laughs) there were some where where we clearly heard cuss words yeah clearly clear clear as day day. and Um, then we got a warning in the press box for laughing at it which is hilarious because it's like how can you not laugh at this this guy is screaming the delay of game i think was the one that it was like a delay of game. It was like one of the one of the outlet passes on offense too, like to like a swing pass to his running back and like his I think it was I think it was Beck who just came running and just tackled him like three yards behind the line and he just Yeah. Duh! Like he just heard he just heard what he's doing. Or like the the delay of game we heard clearly because we just heard them hearing we just heard them saying what was it like Snap it, snap it, snap it. Oh man, the stories, the stories. That was a great moment. Um, but overall, yeah, I'm that. That's pretty much it. Like it was a great game. Atmosphere is great. It was a great send off for the players. It felt like the players had fun. You, they finally got this group of guys got that bad taste out of their mouth from what happened last year, um, and they got the bowl win and they go home with that trophy. And you know they they look when we saw them in the press conference and we saw when when we were walking. Um, on that ground floor where the players were walking out of the locker room to the bus, like 
Everyone had smiles. Yeah. There was not a single guy we saw that was just like, I wouldn't say sulking, but just like, you know, no expression. Even Cam Good, who usually is just like, you know, he's smiling, but like no emotion, like clearly was happy as he's walking down the, walking through that tunnel when we saw yeah. him. Um, so, you know, yeah, it was just one of those moments that I think it's like a positive step. Like, you know, we, we look back, first year of Wilcox, missed the, bowl, missed the bowl game by one game, right? Second year of Wilcox, we make the bowl game, but we lose. Third year of Wilcox, we make the bowl game and we win. It's trending in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And I've said this a bunch of times because it was really, for me, like I just remember it from being at the Poinsettia Bowl with the team. And we <coughs> lost that game to Utah and we were packing up the equipment. Utah backed up their truck to load their equipment in the truck. And on the back of the truck, they had uh, in big letters, like something along the lines of Utah doesn't lose bowl games. And then they had printed every single bowl win, and they had won nine straight, I think, at the time. And that's like people don't remember. Like Utah was just this team that would just go to bowls. Like they wouldn't have an amazing record. I think maybe like seven and five, something like that. You know. Also, like keeping my own memory in check. Like they've only been the Pac-12 for for so many years. But 2011. Yeah. So. You know, but they were on the outside. Like they weren't just like this program that they are today, where we kind of regard them as being in the top, the upper echelon of our own conference. And that happened through a foundation that we're starting to build at Cal. And I think that's the most exciting thing about this. And that's why, like, I hesitate, you know, off of ten wins and stuff like that, because I don't think like that's setting the right expectations. Yeah. Because if we went eight and four next year, or like seven and five and got another bowl win, I still think that's success. I don't think success is us making these exponential leaps to being, you know, contending for the Pac-12 North. And while Oregon's recruiting the way they are, it's going to be hard for us to do that. Period. Like, and that's okay. We have to be okay with eight and four every year <laughs> because I told myself I would be. So I really yeah. want to be okay with it. But that's human expectations, right? You reach, Always. you reach that goal, and you're like, could we get to the next step? Oh, if Chase yeah. was healthy this year, I mean, yeah. that is what. How many times you see that I tweeted? If Chase was healthy this year, we go. <laughs> blank and blank yeah and it's like yeah it's great but he wasn't you know and it's like it, it's great and we got smashed by utah any, like we would have been smashed by utah anyways and we lose to sc and i mean like we lost to sc regardless but like you just don't know you just don't know and i think the big thing with this is like where can we be happy successful as a football program going forward all right, so let's move on to the, some questions. We got some questions about the bowl game, so I figured we should move on to that and then kind of transition into maybe some questions about the OC, and then we'll talk. We'll give our takes on the new OC hiring. Uh, but all in all, great bowl game, great atmosphere, perfect way um, to go out, and I'm excited for whatever bowl games like come up. Because you and I both had fun at the Cheese Bowl last year. We had fun this year. More bowl games means more fun. Just not Alamo, please. <laughs> you want no. El, El Paso? No, Alamo's in San Antonio. That I don't. That one I don't mind. Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. That one. That's Thanks. in El Paso. <laughs> that's the one. That's the one. Not that one. That's the one. All right, uh, we Sorry. got we got a question here from. Uh, I'm going to put you your name, but I'm still going to say it. Shavit Karen. He says he or she says, if one player from the 2019 team were to come back as a coach, who would it be and why? This is kind of perfect as like a bowl game in review and season in review. Do you have one? Yeah, I'll go uh, 
maybe a little more. I I, I think you're, there's a safe pick, and there's a little bit more of an obscure pick here. And so I'm like, assuming the safe pick would be Evan Weaver. Actually, would I think I would go with someone like actually like Ashton. Oh, good um, good point. Yeah. Because he is the way that the coaches talk about him being like this quiet, humble leader. I think that's maybe not maybe not so quiet, but like a humble leader. And just that's what Wilcox just kept saying. He's just like the most humble guy. You would never know. And he works so hard. He put, I just think you want that work ethic from a coach. Um, obviously, I love Weaver. I think Weaver would be amazing. Yeah. Um, but then I actually think that Alex Netherda has a solid, solid chance of coming back to be a coach. If you like, when you look at like Burl Toller and what Toller has been doing, and you look at like people that have been grad assistants, like Java Best came back and was a grad assistant. Netherda to me is is a good is a fun grad assistant. So um, he would be my choice. And the reason why I say that, I think like one, he's you know someone that really understands like what it's like to play college football. You know, it's it's it's. It's easy to pick out the stars and be like, oh, they'd be a great coach. But sometimes you need someone that actually just understands, like, what's it like to not be front and yeah. center? What's it like to have to do everything? And when you have that general knowledge, it can be really helpful because you can work cross collaboratively really, really well. So that's that's my obscure choice. That's a really good pick. I honestly believe that's like a super good pick. Um, Ashton definitely was one of the guys that I thought of too. And like... You can you can you can uh, answer rebuttal to this comment that I have to say, but I've noticed that a lot of the best coaches, right? Some of the best coaches of all time were subpar players. Yeah, and the reason I think, in my mind, because I never got to playing at that level, but the reason in my mind is just because if you're if you're like an extremely good player, I'm not saying the hard work's not there, but there are certain things that just click for you without the hard work, right? That, and that's what makes you such a good athlete or whatever whatever cases and i feel like that frustration might be there sometimes when you're coaching where you get it you just get it but some of these kids some of these players that you're coaching just aren't going to get it like you did and that's that's the difference right and then for you know like guy like netherda makes perfect sense just because of god how many positions did he play in the four years he was <laughs> yeah, so many <laughs> yeah like you could, I mean, that's that's a utility coach. Like yeah, you could literally exactly. place him anywhere, and he knows the hard work that it takes to get good at every position that he's played at, and how much work and time and effort and time in the room to to study tape and to the mental reps, like how much it takes just to get onto the field. And that's the type of thing that you need to coach more than just the fundamentals on the field of where your footwork is, where your hands are, and things like that. So, yeah, I'm gonna roll with. The Nether to pick as well. I think it's hard to find. I totally agree with what you say. Like, it's really hard to find examples of coaches that were just like stellar, out of this world athletes that just, you know, had that gift. Um, you know, it does happen, but I, I agree. And I think like the most really relevant example in my mind is like someone like Bruce Bochy. Like, Bochy was a, like, he was a good player. And then he becomes, you know, this stellar coach. And, uh, but the way that you have to like someone like Nether to appeal to him, like to him for me is like, you're not going to have to, he's going to be able to sell the university, like zero problems. Yeah. He understands fully because you, know, you walk on the program. So it's like he bought the university first and then football came along with it and, and then worked his way on the team. And like Ashton has some of that too, where it's like, man, this guy just works really, really hard. So 
Uh, it's a great question, too. It was a yeah. fun question. It was so. a fun question. Thank you for that. Uh, we got some other ones. Alex Khalifa, one of our writers, he asked, how was the overall game experience in Santa Clara? I think you kind of answered that one. I think it was... So, look, I'm biased because I've gone for a Niners game, and then where our tailgate is, like, as far away as you walked, it's probably where we <laughs> tailgate is where you were tailgating with the CGB crew. And it's, like, it is a long walk. But it's so fun. It I was a lot really of fun. like it because you're just, you know, if you go early enough, it's just kind of, it's the beauty of a tailgate. And this one was super fun because we were surrounded by Cal fans. I had a lot of people that came in to town, like that were in town that came down for it or came from Sacramento. <laughs> it was just super fun. And I agree with you. Like Levi's is, is uh, as far as like our experience is totally biased. You guys have to, I mean, like to yeah. be unlimited chicken strips. <laughs> <laughs> You put me in most places and say that you could have unlimited chicken strips and drinks. Unlimited chicken strips with like multiple sauces. Yeah, multiple sauces. And a heated like queso, like, you know, tray. What? I mean, (laughs) give me an environment. I could probably sit through most things. Yeah. (laughs) Most things. Most things. Most things. I don't know if I would sit through a Dodgers game, but besides that, everything else, yeah. we're good. I don't know. If you had that, I think you'd be able to sit through a Dodgers I, game because you, you'd you be fixated on the chicken strips. I'd be like, yeah, this isn't great, but at least I have unlimited chicken strips. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got some questions about the OC, but do you want general questions about, like, fun questions about the team, like, heading into next year, or do you want questions on the OC first? Next year, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we, got, we got one from Garden Gnome 2 or Garden Gnome Me. It's two eyes at the end. I can't figure out if it's E or two, like the second. But either way, where's next year's national championship game? And is it too early to order tickets? <laughs> order them up. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't know where the national championship game is. But sure, if you want to go to the national championship game, order them up. <laughs> Dude, we're not winning. Enough. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna take the question as it stands because it didn't mention like, will Cal make the national championship game? And should I order? T- is it too early to order <laughs> tickets? It's never too early to over order tickets. And I don't know where the national championship game. I mean, how stoked would you be if you had ordered? I mean, get, to go to New Orleans and go to the national championship. This that's going to be. So let's say I'll take this to a total side. I think that the national championship game this year is has the potential to be one of the greatest games ever played. I think that LSU the is the greatest football team I've ever watched. Like I don't, I can't remember another team. That played a harder schedule that just steamrolled it. What about what about the actually no? Do I continue, remember my continue. the Miami days? I was like thinking about this. I was like, who could I go back the to? The T Bow Florida years? Dude, like, those teams were great too, those, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean the T Bow Florida I just don't think there is T Bow was to me I mean he was a transcendent like But he was one player. LSU yeah. just That's true too. loaded. Yeah. And like they're loaded on both sides of the football. And they it's just sort of one of the craziest things. So, like, in the meantime, and then you throw Clemson out there, and Clemson is the, is dynasty. the dynasty. Clemson is the best team that we've probably, I mean, like, out, I mean, maybe some of the Alabama teams, but they have just the as much five of a right to say that they are the premier team in college football. Yep. And they have their quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, is exceptional. <laughs> exceptional. Um, and then these two teams are meeting in New Orleans, which is going to be a home game for LSU. And but I'm sure Clemson will travel really, really well for it. And I just think like the problem with college football is the delay. It's exactly what you said. I can't imagine taking two weeks off of work and not paying any attention to it because that's what you get, and then doing another two with kind of like half on and off weeks. You would be like 
dude, where do I work again? What do I do? What do I say on the phone? Like, and now you're going to go play a football game. That's why I want the 18 playoff. Because then you have, you get rid of this, you know, huge break. Give them two to three, maybe give them two weeks off or three weeks off. So you have a week and a half of recovery and a week and a half of prep. Something like that. And then you roll into the te- the eight, eight V1, whatevers. And then you roll into the, where we're at, you know, just a week ago. And then you roll into the natty. And I think by that point in time, you get the best product. Because those teams are warmed up. They're ready to go. But anyways, buy the tickets to the national championship because... The way, like Nick's article today, talking about college football and how good the top teams are, seeing a team like Ohio State, 13-0, unbelievable, what, 12-0 or whatever, yeah, 13-0. Run out of the stadium. Just crushing everybody. And uh, and that Clemson game was ridiculous. That was a fantastic game. And so, yeah, why wouldn't you? This is probably the right time in college football to just buy an, a ticket to the national championship and just go for the sake of like how... Regardless of who plays. Regardless, because of how it's sort of moving in that direction. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in total agreement. Total, total agreement. This is weird, Rob. We need to stop being in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> We're turning into a hive mind. Can't, I'm you, can't just let me wander off on tangents and uh, be like, yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. All right. It's time to talk about the OC. All right. I'm going to throw out some left field takes. <laughs> All right. There we go. All right. So let's let's run down the news a little bit. All right. So Bo Baldwin leaves to be the official offensive coordinator of Cal Poly, right? And then Do you miss Bo? After after the game, Red Bull, after the bowl game. What did you right mean? after the bowl game, before the OC was announced? Yeah. I was like, man, yeah, I kind of want to see another year of this offense. Yeah. Crazy, right? Yeah. Crazy. I, was, I'm, I mean, I still wasn't in love with the play call even in the game. Like in terms what? of game flow, like in certain situations, because there was a moment where we went, we ran, 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 and went three and out when we needed to push the ball a little bit more. Like it's just there's there's if I wanted to nitpick, there are moments like that. The turtling, yeah, the turtling is a big thing. But the play actions at yeah. goal no, overall, line, the goal line play actions, mm-hmm. great, perfect, thing of beauty. Yeah, going forward on fourth down in the, in the end zone oh, or in huge. the and the second half, yeah. love it, love it, absolutely love it. Um, yeah, but yes. Yes, I would have at after the bowl game. I was like, man, I wouldn't have minded seeing this another year. <laughs> Dude, sometimes it's just worth to go back and appreciate where you were in like October and yeah. just in where we were as a podcast yeah. and just be like, don't you remember like wow. week? Don't you remember like week three? Yeah. How many people want to chase Garbers out at quarterback? Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> one of them was right here. <laughs> uh, so okay. So we, we find that out, Nick Edwards, and then we find out like Nick Edwards is, is moving on uh, with Bo. Then signing day happens, then the bowl game, and then it moves on to Wilcox at the bowl game saying you'll hear something in the short term. Mm-hmm. Before that, I think a week before at a press conference, he also said you'll be hearing something in the next, next 10, around next 10 days. Yeah. Nothing happened in the next 10 days. But then we get to, I believe it was Wednesday or Thursday night. Uh, we get a tweet from Adam Rittenberg and from Bruce Feldman saying that. So the first, the first, yes, was Bruce Feldman tweeted out all the open vacancies for OCs and Feldman, like he's friendly to Cal, he is, and so he was he was actually in front of us at the presser, yeah, and he tweets out all the vacancies for OCs and doesn't include Cal in it. Which people were upset about. The article doesn't did include Cal though, but it was the, art, the article 
was released the week before. Right. No, the article yeah. did. Yeah. But then he tweeted out Yeah, he later, retweeted out the article. And Adams was like... Without the Cal hashtag. Yeah. And then I just jokingly was like, maybe he, this is his way of leaking that we've hired an OC. Yeah. Three hours later, Rittenberg and Feldman both tweet out saying that uh, Musgrave is, or like keep an eye on Musgrave slash Musgrave is like one of the, was a serious, is a serious candidate uh, for the position, which kind of in reporter speak is like, I'm leaking it without leaking it, right? He's a serious candidate kind of means that. It's it usually usually those tweets mean either or right either they're being leaked by like an agent as like a false thing to kind of drive a narrative or it's like pretty much wrapped up but they're not allowed to say that it's wrapped up and then a few hours after that <laughs> officially been hired yeah. <laughs> and then I, the morning after Cal Athletics tweets out that you know the official hiring hiring tweet with an absolutely stellar stellar Photoshop job um, with the Cal hat. Except the one with the actual Musgrave tweet on it, that one was that one was bad. But the first one, absolutely stellar, stellar Photoshop job, whoever did it. But yeah, um, do you want to answer the questions or do you want to go through your initial takes on the Musgrave hire? Also, wait, sorry, before that, one more piece of news was that uh, Steve Greatwood would be retiring right. um, after the bowl game. And that happened right before the bowl game. Um, so, you know, just things started to go in motion. And then now we're at this point. So back to you. Do you want to go with your takes on the hire, or should we go through our questions about the OC? Uh, why don't you start with your take, and I'll follow up. Okay. Uh, I honestly think this is a like a B minus B hire as a solo hire, with the with with the caveat that it could potentially with who he hires at offensive line and running back be jumped up into like an A minus A. How are you higher. giving it a B minus? I'm giving it a B minus because he just hasn't coached in college for God knows how long. He's been coaching college since two thousand one, I believe. Yeah. So twenty years in the NFL, I don't know how he's gonna adapt to constant roster turnover, like an inability to like coach beyond four years, like, you know, with your players. Hell, even it might not even be more than two. Counterpoint. Yeah. How long has he ever been with one team? That's true, but how, <laughs> like I don't think he's had four years with one. Right, but how many of those was because he was looking to move and versus he was fired? Sure. So or the head coach more or the, like, yeah more, more times like, the head coach was fired and then the incoming regime didn't want him to stay around. But there it goes to show that two in two instances where the head coach was fired, he was named the interim head coach. Yep. So it goes to show something in that regard. But okay, continuing, um, his offense is very intricate. Uh, it's. It, it's going to take a lot of time to if we I'm just going to go by the full he's not dumbing it down this is like what he's what he ran in the NFL is what he's going to bring to college that's the notion I'm going off of of course that of course that could change but since we don't know that that's the notion I'm going off of the offense is like super super intricate there's a lot of things you need to learn at every single position it's not just like the quarterbacks that need to know a lot it's every position across the board um Peter is running through like this nice article breaking down uh, the Erhard Perkins like scheme and that offense, uh, which we'll have this week. So you can kind of get a sense of like what type of offense we're going to be running. Not in terms of like the play sets, but like how, how much verbiage and like different types of words do you need to know and the concepts in that in that sense. So, yeah, it's it's going to take some time for these guys to to get a full grasp of it. But. He's also coaching quarterbacks. 
as a former quarterback himself. And you looked at the list of quarterbacks that he's coached and the years and the statistical years that those quarterbacks have had under Muschamp's guidance and tutelage. Musgrave. Oh, sorry. Not Muschamp. I keep saying Muschamp. (laughs) Musgrave. Sorry, Musgrave. Um, I'm just so used to saying Muschamp because he's such a college coach. Okay, Musgrave. Man, those quarterbacks, stellar years. Michael Vick, 2006, his final year before, you know, the whole um, animal fighting scandal. Yeah. Um, was his best statistical season, right? Derek, or sorry, is it Derek Carr? It is Derek Carr. Mm-hmm. Derek Carr's best season with the Raiders. By far. By far was when Musgrave was his offensive coordinator. Uh, and I can go down the list. Matt Schaub. Uh, Matt, Matt Schaub. Yeah. Matt Ryan. He had Matt Ryan's first f- three years, I believe, in the league. With Atlanta. So, all of that said, man, like he knows how to coach his quarterbacks. And Chase and these new quarterbacks that are coming in and the current quarterbacks on the roster are going to grow so much <laughs> from learning to, learning from the dude. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's why I think it's a B minus, B higher. Because it's he's a great fit. I just don't know how much his, it's going to translate and how well he's going to do on the recruiting end. But that's why I'm saying... It could translate into an A dependent on how quickly he picks up recruiting and who he brings in at running back and offensive line to maybe help with that offensive recruiting boost. Yeah. Okay. So let me pump, I'll pump a little sunshine on top, like on top of that. I think like, I I have a really hard time categorizing this anything less than B plus A minus, if not A minus A. The, the general sentiment outside of our community, outside of Cal, like the NFL guys. NFL guys like just even I just read an article today that was by the Oregon um an actual like Oregon live or something oh Catanzo John Catanzo something like that and they're like Oregon and Washington better watch out because Cal's a real contender for the Pac-12 North with this hire like it's not I I, that's why I sort of like I don't it's not the like young up and you know it's not the Stanford hire that I think a lot of people wanted but in a way it's a lot more of a proven commodity and it's somebody that can come into the program and that has an incredible track record of being successful and not just through the air, but also through the ground. Like Adrian Peterson's 2000 yard season, yeah. who was offensive coordinator for the Vikings. It was him. And uh, like CJ Anderson, some of CJ Anderson's success are like, uh, I believe in, in Denver was under him possibly. Yes. Along with, you're correct. And, uh, and then Royce Freeman eventually took over from there. Yeah. The, just like the capability of this offense, as you said. So I think we're going to get a dumbed-down version of this offense year one, period. And it's and it's not going to be – it's just going to be limited in its scope because it can be so complex. But what I said today is like if you like are like me and you're watching the Niners game and then you go and watch a Cal game and you're like, why can't the Bears do be more creative uh, and run some more of these concepts – it's not going to be Kyle Shanahan's offense, but there's going to be a lot more similarities to it because yep. it's it's that based similar tree. out of the same West Coast yeah. philosophy. That's exciting. Yeah. The my main concern with it is if his ten he likes to run a lot of trips and have and would run Demarius Thomas in isolation for the Broncos, right? And then they would run trips and they have Emmanuel Sanders and somebody else who I'm forgetting, and. We I don't know if we have Demarius Thomas. Like I don't know right. if we have that receiver now. I think we might get him with Hunter. Yeah. Jeremiah Hunter. But 
I don't know like who would play that role right now. Um, maybe Trevin Clark, but like I don't know. Not in one year. Yeah, no, I would. It would just be tough. But I mean, I agree. Like good wide receiver coach comes in and can kind of elevate that unit where. Well, it'll be Burl. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> uh, no, I really want Burl to stay. So another year under Burl would be fantastic. A good running boat, a running back coach comes in and works with someone like Chris Brown Jr., who is going to be the beneficiary of a very experienced offensive line. And we're going to throw some pretty complex concepts in regards to like blocking. And then you look at what he does with the tight end um, to, to use it in the run, like use the tight end in the running game. If it's not a fullback dude, I mean, man, if Malik McMorris was in this oh. offense, I think we would have just really been able to do a lot more of the run game than we were able to um, previously. So I'm just really excited. I'm really optimistic about it. I usually am. I think the floor stays the same. I still think it's seven and five. You're right. Like it's going to be maybe potentially harder than we think in the bigger games to adapt to some of these concepts. And we don't, I don't think the UNLV game is going to be a cakewalk. I think Bo will have some stuff in store for us. Cal Poly, like we have a hard, harder schedule. Um, but the potential of what this could be is to me like way higher than where we were even sticking with Bo year three after the bowl game where you and i both would have been like yeah i'll sign up for this i'll yeah. sign my name on this i'm down for a plus one like you know but i mean going off of that my thing was or the the thing that that still resonated with me was remember what wilcox said at the post game conference after the red box or after the red box bowl about when people asked him about the office coordinator he said it's, mm-hmm. it's about fit it's about can can this guy coach up our guys does he understand like the 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 university, the area, um, and then also the key thing that that I think, I mean, in my eyes, made kind of sense that he had already known this was going to be the hire was when he said something about personnel, and he said, "I want a coach who's able to. They're able to adapt. We're not going to have the same guys in the same like style of players every year, so we're going to need to be multiple. Like we can't run the same thing with different guys that we have." And he said something like. You know, some years we might have more tight ends, or some year we might have more like this position, um, like something he said something along that line, and that perfectly makes sense with Musgrave because look at the offense that he run he ran with the Vikings, super run heavy, super run heavy, all about Adrian Peterson and trying to get him in the space as much as possible. Then you look at his years with the, Chip, or the Chip, Raiders, with the Raiders, yeah. which is drastically different, and then and then on the and then the further down that spectrum is that two years that he spent with Philly with. Chip Kelly, and that offense was purely spread, <laughs> like one hundred percent spread. Um, so yeah, it's just a lot of those things are gonna are gonna come full circle, and that make perfect sense with what Wilcox was saying that he wants to be multiple. Is you're gonna see maybe run heavy games if they think that they can exploit it, and they'll run you know like the the Vikings Adrian Peterson style offense. Then they'll realize like their secondary sucks, <laughs> and we're just gonna pass all day on them. So we run a spread concept offense like, you know, the Eagles did. And then maybe we decide, you know, we're going to go a little bit more balanced and run maybe a play action offense and we form like the Raiders did. Like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> we're not going to be able to predict like what type of offense he's going to run game in and game out. Like we kind of could predict what the offense was going to be like when we saw Bob Baldwin prep games. So mm-hmm. that's, that's the big thing is the game planning. And the question is, how quickly is he going to adapt to play calling and, like, you know, when to go for it and things like that? Of course, 
Coach Wilcox is definitely going to be a little bit more in that managerial role of calling that, but still, like, will he start? Will he turtle like Bo did, you know, in in <laughs> games when we're up and we need to keep the pressure on? Like, it, you know, it's just things that we just don't know uh, for him moving to the college game from the pros. So, I think um, from a yeah, I mean, everything you said nailed it. I, I, that's why I end up being so excited about it. I think that he. Also, like from a recruiting standpoint, I really like where Wilcox is going. So the thing, I, how many times have I mentioned this, right? I watched this HBO 24-7 ASU documentary, <laughs> yes. an hour plus on their program. And once again, if you like college football and you want to know why ASU is consistently ranking in the top six of the Pac-12 in recruiting, watch it. If you have HBO. If not, like rip it from somewhere. But... <laughs> They they are branding themselves as the NFL playbook for for high school students. Come here, learn the NFL way. We are the NFL way at Arizona State. We, everyone there, like Antonio Pierce, like they have everyone that and all these coaches that are from the NFL, and that is winning them recruits. Well, Wilcox said in the press conference, we want someone that can lean into our intellect and and focus on that. What is Cal's competitive advantage? It's that, having intelligent players, like really, really high-capacity players. And that is something that we haven't exactly always like. We've leaned into it from a recruiting standpoint. Come and get a degree here. A degree matters more. But what about using that as a competitive advantage in the field? And that is what is so exciting to me about a very complex offense like this is because it will require a higher aptitude. And what better place to do it than the number one public university in the world? Yeah. That leans into to recruits that maybe want a challenge, right? You're not going to be like, hey, you're going to come to this Oklahoma offense and you're going to be this wide receiver and running these routes every game. That's that's you're going to be your role. Like, But this is more of the, hey, look at every single type of play you ran. And, you know, it's going to be a lot of chase or whoever our quarterback is at the time. going to be switching out a lot of plays. You're going to have to be in the know. Like, you're going to have to be smart. And NFL teams are going to like this because you have been running this and have been prepping to play this style you know, from college into the NFL. The And the other argument that a lot of people have I've seen is like, he hasn't recruited in 20 years. We don't know how he's going to recruit, right? Two points of that. Virginia, when he was at Virginia, granted, caveat, because he's not, of course, the only coach, right? <laughs> it was so long ago. Yeah. <laughs> that... His year, his one year, or he was there two years, but like his full recruiting cycle was basically one year, right? What do you think Virginia's recruiting class for football ranked that year? Eight. I think it was, I think it's eight and some. I think 24-7 had it at 11. But regardless, basically a top 10 recruiting class. Okay. And then on the other side, people are saying, yeah, so he hasn't recruited in 20 years. Like, how is he going to do? How is he going to fare? Didn't we have that question about Herm Edwards when he signed on with ASU? Yep. Look what happened there. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I think the side benefit with Mus like with Musgrave is is literally that he has that NFL pedigree and it's working with Arizona State. So why wouldn't it work with Cal? Yeah. Why not say you come in, you're gonna learn an NFL NFL ready offense? offense. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, an RPO. you wanna learn how to be, run an effective RPO like Lamar Jackson does in Baltimore? Cool, we got that. Yeah. You wanna Learn how the New England Patriots run their yeah. off, like their, their Tom, Tom Brady, Brady offense. It. Cool, we with got that the, too. Yeah. You want to <laughs> understand some of the concepts that are using Kyle Shanahan's offense with Jimmy G and, 
and what's going on on the West Coast with the 49ers. Yeah, yeah we got that too. You want to be our George Kittle? Sure. Come on yeah. right in. Like- you, <laughs> you want to learn from someone that's been underneath you know, Shanahan, Bill Walsh, like, and Chip, work with Chip Kelly. Like, There's a lot there that, I mean, the recruiting stuff, like, and then you already hope, I mean, I'm assuming that Toller, Tuyas, like Mark, uh, Tui, and uh, some of the other, like, those, mainly those two guys are going to stick through this um, and remain on staff. So I think that's also what he meant by fit as well. Yeah. I think that he wanted that continuity and wanted to keep those two guys on staff and was looking for a coach that was okay keeping those two guys on staff. Yeah. And, you know, Tui, the, the tight ends definitely got better as the season progressed. Plus, he brought in DJ Rogers, who, my goodness, might be the best tight end prospect we've seen in the last 10 years here. That's what I'm saying. And people are like, oh, well, the tight ends got better because the quarterback got better. I'm like, eh. <laughs> like <laughs> That's not always the case. Like, I saw literally Gavin Reinwald go from uh, not catching many balls to securing all of them. Like, they're in the route running from the tight ends and the blocking was vastly superior at the end of the season. They're, it's not just a matter of, like, Chase being better. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a... Rising tides float all boats, but also, yeah, you nailed it. I mean, the biggest thing, we're like, who is supposed to be this awesome recruiter? Well, there you go. We got you a monster tight end yeah. to work with. So. so let's see if he can build on that. That's why I'm fine with Tui sticking around. If he, if he, if it's another year and you see the tight ends, let's say, decline, right? And then this next upcoming cycle, the tight end recruiting, not that great. Then we can revisit it. But for now, I think he's done enough to warrant at least, at least staying around another year. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, this is all going to come down to also for who we bring in at offensive line and running backs, right? The running back stable, my goodness, <laughs> might be the strongest in quite some time. Very full. <laughs> A very full room, too. And then on top of that, our court, I mean, he's coaching quarterbacks, so that that's that's going to be great regardless. And the quarterbacks, Jane and Casey, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, and then, of course, it's the offensive line. And Greywood leaves a really good room. It's a really good room, in my opinion, because one, you have room for improvement. Two, you have depth. But three, you have known quantity starters. That's going to be so huge for whoever steps in at line because you're not going to have a drop-off just because you had a new coach and you have to break in all these new guys. You have pretty much your entire starting line from last year going into this year. Yeah, And you have the depth. Now you just need to coach up the young guys to be able to replace Yep. some of those guys um, when it comes down to you know moments where they need to be spelled so spot on yeah that's that's pretty much like where we need to go and where this needs to trend I'm curious as to who he hires um, but as is the case like we just don't know have any names <laughs> maybe we get Ronnie to come back oh boy <laughs> oh boy we Wouldn't just that need be the, the next Ron Gold to be honest with you because the talent is there for our running backs to I'll get, be ridiculous for the next six years. I'll say one more thing. And you you talked about the whole, you know, maybe winning the Pac-12 North stuff, mm-hmm. right? Do you know how many teams are replacing a quarterback in the Pac-12 North this year? Uh, Washington, Oregon, Stanford, kind of Stanford, I guess. Uh, Oregon State. And Washington State. And Washington State. Every single team in the Pac-12 North, other than Cal, is replacing their quarterback. I mean, Stanford's a half because Costello's leaving, but then they have Mills, and Mills played a, a few games last year, so kind of, but not really. So, yeah. It's there for the taking. I mean, 
Granted, I really don't think we can beat Oregon, even if we're at full power. <laughs> that defense is going to be ridiculous. Kevin <laughs> like, Thibodeau is going to destroy people. And then Penny Sewell's younger brother, like, Noah Sewell, yeah. I saw. I was watching the U.S. Uh, the All-American game. <laughs> the dude's like, what, like 250, but he runs like he's like 210. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. It's really bad. It's really, really bad. Maybe we win 3-0 in Berkeley. Uh, <laughs> like 3-0. Oh, boy. All right, so we got some questions about the OC, and then you know we'll kind of wrap up there. So MVP MVP Pascal or at Bay Sports Nerd, yeah, sounds like we uh, sounds like he can run any type of offense he wants to. Should we expect many variation, various formations and personnel groups? Bo Baldwin likes a single back offense. Are there any themes we may see similar to that? Can we get a football? Can we get a fullback again, please? Yeah, so I think the fullback like there's gonna be some form of it, some form of it, whether it be a tight end or an actual fullback. Some form of that will play out. I, think. I wouldn't even mind running Chris Brown as your fullback on a couple just like just plays, dude. Like why? I don't know why. Wait, I dude. I just think Chris Brown has a. He could be so. He could be a JJ Arrington next year. I mean, <laughs> he would be really good. He doesn't have, does have that speed though. Not no. not JJ speed. No. <laughs> we can go full circle and talk about that fifty-four yard run where he got tracked down. But I mean, the guy just breaks tackles left and right and uh a year another off season and uh spring i think with this offense the thing that you'll see a lot is a lot of zone reads i like that they are uh, a lot of zone runs sorry where uh they'll do outside and then they'll do inside so outside zone you basically are taking advantage of like shifting the o-line out and stretching the defense horizontally and having the running back go up that way, and then the running back has to find the right hole. So our running backs like just need to hit the right hole, and if Chris Brown Jr. can break one tackle, game. I mean, that's like that leads to our, the, our discussion that we had on Twitter today, right? Because you were talking about how you think Deshaun Collins might be the guy who benefits the most. Yeah. But I might, for me, I think it's Marcel Dancy because he has that one cut in him. Yeah. And he can do – I mean, my tweet was that he's – because he ran a little bit of what Kubiak did in Baltimore – in terms of the run game, and also what Kubiak did in for Arian Foster with the, with the Texans, like it's that same run scheme, which is why I think Marcel Dancy might be the biggest benefactor. But I also think, yeah, Deshaun Collins could definitely get, so, hop into there. Exactly. I mean, like Dancy has the skill set to be successful there, yeah. but I I for the last month of the season have felt like Collins has way better vision. I just have seen him. He's he's got vision and he's shifty. I do think your point about DeCarlos Brooks like coming up and maybe taking some of those carries totally valid. Yeah. But from what I saw from Collins, like he had really really solid vision. What kind of running backs thrive in this type of offense? Running backs with really good vision. I will say one of our one of our friends is uh, a coach in the community college system here in the Bay Area and when I was talking to him and and he's a Cal fan too. So we, when I was talking to him he said like one of the best things that that came out this year was when they were playing CCSF and they're like is Deshaun Collins here? And they're like, no. And they're like, oh my God, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> he's a wow. defensive coach. So like, they were just like elated that he's not there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so we got some other stuff. Is uh, I mean, Peter asked this. Is, Who do you think is will be the greatest beneficiary of our new system? Which players will lose out? Looking at past OC changes, how long does it usually take for the system to begin clicking? I'll answer the last part. And then the first part, and then I'll toss it to you for your thought. Um, 
OC changes depends on how big of a scheme change you're making. Like, remember the OC changes under Tedford? Mm-hmm. There wasn't that big of a drop-off because Tedford already knew what type of offensive system he wanted to run. And the offensive guys that came in basically took over, like, game planning and the play-calling aspect of it, maybe adding some wrinkles into the offense. But it wasn't a wholesale change like we went from an air raid to a multiple set or going from a, you know, like, we can't, you can't go from, like, a wing T to an air raid <laughs> and expect that transition to be seamless because yep. it's based on the personnel and the roster depth of what you have. That's why it took so long for us to build up that roster depth, that tight end, to be able to truly run multiple sets. Because we haven't recruited tight ends for four years up until Wilcox got here. So, yeah, I think um, I don't think the drop-off will be, will be that significant. Also, on top of that, most of our offensive guys will be juniors. Which means they've been in football enough, in college football enough, where the speed of the game, the, the repetition of practices, like... They all have their little know-hows now of how to pick up things faster and where where they need to improve the most and how to, to pick up offense playbooks. Like, they've been through that now. So I don't think the seam will be will be that significant. It's just how quickly can you get adjusted to what uh, Musgrave wants from you. That's the harder part. Um, like, does he want Chris Brown to be more decisive in getting through the hole on outside reads? Then that's a rep thing. Right and and how and what he wants you to do, and where he wants Chase to go with his throws, or like what what he wants him to change the play call to if he sees man coverage outside, or if he sees a two deep zone. Like it's just it's just the little things like that. Um, but he's also been doing so many of those multiple sets with our Bo Baldwin has been running a lot of multiple looks with and different formations with our guys right now. Anyways, that I don't think it'll be like oh holy crap I'm standing here now. Like there's I don't think there's gonna be those types mm. of moments. Right. I think yeah, I think you nailed it. Like as far as I, I think it's okay, like have expectations that the offense should be better next year. Mm-hmm. Like that's totally fine. Um as far as the players, I think that there's two really obvious ones, which would be Garbers, uh just overall going into his junior year just being better and then being in a scheme that is gonna be pretty fun for him. And then two, Chris Brown Jr. But my third could either be my fun one was like maybe Deshaun Collins, but then uh, the other one could be some blend of like uh, Nico Remedio. He, I, I think he's the one that could benefit the most if we run a lot of those slant plays that a lot of the Raiders twenty sixteen, mm-hmm. like that's the receiver that gets the most of that and like Nico is yoked, folks. <laughs> that guy is ripped and was got better and better this year he's fearless fearless so he's the one i could see uh on that side of the ball just exploding um nico's kind of i mean in in hindsight kind of what we kind of wanted kanavai to be like as a whole right guy who can be outside guy who could be over the middle granted kanavai's catch catching in traffic is like second to none yeah uh but nico kind of showed that like yeah, you want to put me on the outside? I can run past guys. You want to put me in the middle and, and be a possession receiver like five-yard downfield? I can do that too. Like it, he's perf- He's become like a perfect like utility weapon for any offensive coordinator coming in. Yep. So, yeah, thoroughly excited about that. Uh, I've got a couple other questions, but Adams asks us, now that we're three seasons in, let's evaluate the Wilcox regime. In what ways has he met or not met expectations? How much progress has he made versus what he inherited in what ways has he surprised you i actually want to i actually want to stash this question 
because I do want to do a podcast in a few weeks where we kind of do the 2019 and maybe the 2010 season, 2010 decade in review with Trace. Yeah, with Trace. Um, a little bit of a longer fleshed out version of that. I'll support that. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, stash this one for later. Okay. Well, let me get one piece of it. Okay. <laughs> Go for it. The biggest surprise one I think we got really lucky on the hire, very lucky. <laughs> and we're I'm super grateful that we transitioned because I don't think Sunny Dykes would have been able to make it work. In I think we would have just been at best five wins. So that's great. And then uh, on top of it, I think the biggest surprise is how well Justin Wilcox understands the offensive side of the ball. A lot of people think, oh, he's a defensive coach. He doesn't understand the offensive side of the ball. Dude, that guy understands football. It's it's ridiculous. And it wasn't it, – it's just one – it completely changed my mind on hires. And when we say, oh, it's a defensive coach, they must not know offense. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> <laughs> that guy knows both sides of the ball yeah. super well. The reason – and. The the story that leaked over like the last couple of week or last week that like goes to that is that story about Wilcox and Kellen Moore, right? Um, that apparently when um, Peterson was at Boise State and when Wilcox was the defensive coordinator, Wilcox was the one that pushed hard to get Moore in as their quarterback. He was the one that apparently said, "I see he he's going to be the guy," right? And Peterson apparently buckled and said, "Okay, we'll bring him in." And they brought him in, and the rest is history. But your defensive coordinator <laughs> is pitching which quarterback you should be bringing in, <laughs> and is right. Yeah, that tells you something. Yep, the man eats, breathes, leaves, bleeds football. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, also, I mean, between for the two of us, like we went to the the football one on one stuff with Wilcox, and just picking his brain is just so much fun. I learned so much in that hour it was, than I did in years of watching and like reading books on football. It was crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, yeah. so we're going to stash that one. But I guess the last thing is offensive line and running backs. We talked about Ron Gold, right? Maybe potentially. We just don't know who. <laughs> There's zero leaks. Like you, you can run through the offensive coach big board that we, we've created. No one on that list was even like hinted at. We didn't get any hints until that tweet about, uh, what's it, Musgrave being a serious candidate. Dude, I don't have a single clue about who could be <laughs> offensive line coach, could be running backs. Like the only ones are the fun ones that we just like. Yeah, or like McClure. Any, yeah, or like anyone like tied to Cal, right? Or like yeah. tied to the coaching staff. Yeah, which I have is no like... clue. I have not a clue. <laughs> yeah, so we'll leave it at that. But I think Angus McClure and Ron Gould would be like a fan's dream. Yeah, of like the return and like a great, great recruiting hire. Uh, but I think that's that's pretty much like the only guys we know. <laughs> I don't know my offensive I, well, line coaches. I did want to look if uh, Steve Mahalachek coached overlapped with um, Musgrave at all. You know, he was the oh, yeah. former Cal line. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. One who brought in Alex Mack, and yeah, he's a really good, really good coach. But he, I don't know what he's been up to. But uh, I didn't bother to do the research so yeah, i don't that's, know that's for a later time <laughs> that's for a later time all right uh there's one more question about kind of recruiting and that we can close on is uh egak or egak stetter at twitter he asks uh what do we need to do recruiting wise to start landing a few four-star guys consistently i still think we lack a recruiter a stellar recruiter who can keep norcal on lockdown and slash or go into socal and steal a few guys i 
I'm gonna say I recommend reading Nick's article yes, this the... today, which I think is the his Monday column today was like perfectly answered your question. That being said, um, I was talking to some people like you know the NFL reporters that we're close to, and you know some of the other guys that cover about you know the Musgrave hire, and I wanted their takes on it, and I was like I. I genuinely asked. I said, what do you think about recruiting? Like, do you sell me on it? Do you think it'll be an issue? And one guy's response, just win. <laughs> and I, he's like, if you win, there's, it's not going to be an issue. If you win or succeed, it's not going to be an issue. Like, if we start putting up, let's say, 38, 40 points a game on this offense, regardless of if we win or lose, I think guys are going to want to start coming here. Yeah. That's what it boils down to. We can talk about all the excuses, but... At some point, we also have to stop prioritizing stars and do what we did this year, or like focus... Like This year was more about who are the other teams that are offering these players. Right. And and I agree with you. Read Nick's article, but like also like the, that, the class, this year's class is so much better than what their stars ranking is. It's just period. And the NFL is not littered with like there's plenty of guys that are missed that are out there and there's plenty of teams like Utah that don't pull in these like five-star classes and there's plenty of teams like Florida State that have all five-star and four-stars and they're terrible it and it comes down to coaching and the foundation and and the players and the fact that it's not a perfect system Ashton Davis is a walk-on he's probably going to go in the first round of the NFL draft or maybe second round of the NFL draft this year a walk-on to the Cal football team so it's like you just don't know how players are going to develop. And it's, it's like, you yeah, have rivals that right had. We had three four-stars if you look at rivals. We had one if you look at 247 or 24-7 or whatever. Uh, who knows? It's still a guessing game to a certain degree. It's gotten better. I do think we could use more. But what do we – at the best years with Tosh, how many we get? Eight four-stars? Yeah. Seven, eight? Yeah. And then maybe a five, we had a five-star sprinkled in. I think I could see it happening. You find someone that, you know, like a – but even Jerichoff was four-star recruit, yeah. you know. And I think, we, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I will say to people who talk about four-stars, it's not a matter of, wow, we brought in a four-star. It's it's what it's exactly what you said about being able to deduce and project what they're going to be. The likelihood of a four- or five-star becoming a solid rotation player is higher mm-hmm. than getting a two-star or three-star guy that blossoms into a superstar. Yep. So that's the only reason you would want to bring in higher four-star, five-star guys because the floor is higher, yep. not necessarily because the ceiling is higher. So that's pretty much where I'm at. I'm I'm fine with getting in three three-star guys and like three mixed three four-star guys just consistently. Maybe the stars align and we get a couple five-star guys, you know, every so often. But that's pretty much the foundation I'd, I'd want built is three-star four three four-star guys consistently every year. And just build out that floor. We're in the running. We're with these. Yeah. You see them. They're yeah. top eights. Top Hello, fours. Miller Moss. <laughs> yeah. We're in the running on them. It's not that we're not going after them. It's yeah. just a matter. Uh, I, but, I mean, we know, like, the guys we got this year, like Jaden Casey, um, who was a Nam taking his receipts on, Justin Baker. Yeah. Uh, Jeremiah Hunter. Like, DJ Rogers. Like, these guys are like, – these. Just look at their – I mean, there's guys that were three stars that – SC's offering that are declining to come to Cal. Oregon's offering that are declining to come to Cal. Those are the battles we win. Win those battles. Out-recruit in the Pac-12 North and the Pac-12 South. 
and then let's worry about stars later because I think we'll be okay. Yeah, we can't expect to compete with every single like high tier talent. Every Dude, we're also not game. paying players. Period. <laughs> like period. We're not paying players right now. So that's a thing. Yeah, that's a thing. So if you want us to do that, like I just don't want to be in that. And yeah. I think like we're in the perfect sweet spot right now, in my opinion. I mean, granted, can we can we raise the level a little bit higher? Sure, of course. There's always room for improvement, but this is how you build the foundations of a program. Right. It's not like the, the, the stars and, and all that glitz and glamour. But this is how like you get the hard work, the blue collar or yeah, the blue collar type of like football program foundation built. Blue collar gold swagger. Gold that's swagger. the A's. Yeah. The A's. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Um that wraps it up for us. We are good here on the podcast. You can find us at Golden Bearcast on Twitter. Um you can find me at Rob eleven H W A N G. You can find Andy at Andy J Beast Mode. And you can find uh, currently all our stuff at CaliforniaGoldenBlogs.com. But if you don't know, uh, there are some changes coming. So I highly recommend uh, you to stay tuned to this podcast or to at GoldenBearCast just to know of any updates to the website and all that. Um, And if you want to join our Discord, that is available too. And uh, people have been talking on that um, just constantly. It's pretty nice having an instant messaging community to to talk to whenever so join it join it join it join it join it uh we'll be back soon with uh maybe as we said a wrap-up podcast of the 2019 season and a 2010s in review but that's pretty much it and we're done here go bears go bears Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.